The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Welcome to episode 21 of season 5 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. Jen Robertson and Neil Glover are here with me. Greetings. Hello. 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 Good to see you both. Now, the correspondence has been flooding in. Thank you very much. Uh, Hugh Wallace, by the way, is fast becoming our most regular correspondent. He's clearly he's clearly binge-watching, binge-watching, binge-listening um, the series, working his way backwards. And he sent quite a large email. Uh, he talks, first of all, about something, Jen, you were speaking about. So you were talking about a young person you'd encountered over the summer who'd felt quite unsupported as a, a new Christian in school. And Hugh is bringing up the point of uh, minority status. You know, do we... We as Christians think well, we need to be clinging on to some sort of uh, minority status or is it uh, a timely reminder really to be praying and finding out about where people are and, and really kind of pressing in for them so he, he talks about seeking out Christians in the workplace in the education sector in their communities as well as in their churches and be thinking and praying earnestly for the right words of encouragement and the grace to listen and bind up some wounds so maybe that's a clarion call to all of us to have a conversation with the person we sit next to in church. Uh, he then goes on to talk about, Neil, something you talked about with talking about relationships. Uh, he said, it echoed through your reflections on Paul's conversion, the place of Christian community in walking into a possible lion's den out of comfort zones. We shouldn't expect the world to give us support. It's the calling, the prerogative, responsibility, and I think the expectation, he says, that as Christians, we are actively committed to long-term Christians, new Christians, gone cold Christians, and not yet Christians who are seeking, being put off, buffeted, but still drawn to Jesus. He says, anyway, so many good ideas, thoughts, insights and questions. Thanks Fiona for pulling these gems from Neil and Jen and throwing them of your own too. God bless you. Uh, oh, I, and he- I like that as a description of what we do. Yeah, pulling out. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like a dentist extracting. Um, and then he, he, d- he also adds in an extra PS, oh yes, Neil and your conclusions on why the Church of Scotland and other similar churches have declined since the 60s because people aren't encountering Jesus. He says, I'm sure there are many congregations in the CFS where there are people of all ages who emphatically would say, I did, but I think you've hit on it. Our structures, our styles are saying you can come and, sorry, our structures, our styles saying you can come and meet with Jesus next Sunday at 11 a.m. in this building, as opposed to the more what seems spirit-led, inviting people to meet Jesus where they are or to read the Bible, even though they didn't know the first thing about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah kind of that, that's the roughly book. where the book goes. I still yeah. I haven't worked on it for two weeks. I'm yeah. bereft. If you're into that, me, see, once you finish doing something, you just put it aside. I forget yeah. often. Um, anyway, he says, thanks for the podcast. Honesty and openness and integrity and walks with God. Also, another message from the Reverend Julie Moody. Thank Hello, you, Julie. Hello, Reverend yeah. Julie. Hello, Reverend Judy. She, Judy, Julie even. Uh, she is saying huge thanks to Jen for sharing such a personal insight about singing hymns from the depths of mm. despair. I can echo this experience, but I had never thought of Paul and Silas singing from their pain. An interesting and most likely perspective. Keep going, says Julie. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Well, as ever, keep the correspondence coming in. It is great to hear about how you're journeying with us through ACTS, whether you're doing it forwards or backwards. Um, and a quick advert, if I may, if uh, you are enjoying listening. We've talked already about This Hope is for You, which is the daily devotional podcast. But I just wanted to remind you that the Advent podcast from a couple of years ago is still available. And in fact, it's been reissued by Scottish Bible Society uh, under the new podcast stream, which is called Spoken Out. 
So this is outspoken, that is spoken out. So spoken out is your go-to for all the audio dramas that SBS has produced over the past four years. And I actually slightly randomly caught episode four of the advent when I was in the car the other day. So it was the next thing on my podcast stream. Um, And I have to say, well, there were a couple of things. First of all, this is quite shocking. I had no memory of making it. No memory of it at all. Just two years ago. Uh, and then I also had this moment where I thought, oh, this is actually quite good. That's, <laughs> that's a relief. Good. It is very good. And it, the, I love the, the how it starts with the dark days and cold nights uh, require stories to be told. Or something like that. It's something it like that. Better. No, I do, it is something like that. No, that's that's very true. Yeah. Draws you in. So if you, I know we're we're you know getting towards the point where you know if you're doing something for Advent, you've probably already started it by now. But maybe you're looking for something to listen to over the Christmas holidays. Uh, something that's a reminder. I was thinking about the fact that you know once we're past the twenty fifth, it's okay to still listen to something round about the Christmas story. Well, that's mm. Christmas has just begun on exactly. the twenty fifth. <laughs> exactly. It's the first day of Christmas. Exactly. Oh, Twelve days. Absolutely. So you might want to binge the Christmas account and. Uh, you can find that under the Spoken Out channel um, and it's the Advent is the name of that podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Have you caught it, Neil? You're not so much of a... No, but but you've sold it. I'm wanting to mm-hmm. to go there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I like what you've just said about Christmas lasting. It starts on Christmas, starts on the 25th, doesn't it? And lasts yeah. for 12 days. Yeah. And then can't I just said. Yeah, no, I'm echoing what you just said. I'm, 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 I'm saying it because you said it. No, sorry. Did that sound like Jen? Did you know? No, it sounded like you hadn't been listening at all. That's all right. Sorry. No, no. I was replaying your conversation. But isn't there a thing that it, Christmas used to go on till Candlemas, which I think is like in February mm. or something? Yep. We had a. We had, actually, I think somebody contacted us recently about that at SBS about Christmas going on till Candlemas. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like. So effectively, oh, Christmas uh, starts an yeah. Advent and goes all the way through to. February. Well, I'm about to, you know, speak out of total ignorance as, uh, as I often do. But am I right in thinking? So, we're, we, you, do you know when we talk about the ordinary? Is it the ordinary days? Mm-hmm. Within the within the um, liturgical year. The liturgical year. Yeah. So then, when you hit Advent, am I not right, right in thinking that then runs through to Candlemas and then and then you get into Lent? Yeah, I think that is there an ordinary time between Candlemas and Lent. Is there, there a brief period of orderliness? Again, as I say, speaking out of ignorance, I am. There'll be, there'll be some like high church liturgist listening to this. I know, currently furious. swerving yes. off the road. I mean, if you are, if you're really familiar with liturgy, please, yeah. please contact us and let us know. Outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Um, it's really interesting to think about. So yes, certainly twelfth night. Sorry, the thing about Christmas starting on the twenty fifth. That's when I get most upset when you go to Tesco after after Christmas Day and like there's nothing that resembles oh, Christmas really? whatsoever and you're like but Christmas just began yeah yeah our culture thinks that Advent is Christmas yes yes and that's an interesting question isn't it about how we mark Advent yeah yeah and we, I've been thinking quite a lot about that um I've talked before about the liturgy collective so that's something that um Stephen who's the pastor of my church is has, has kind of kick-started and it's a the idea of getting people together who lead worship or who are um, involved in serving and in, in particularly in, in worship and creativity and things, getting them together to have a, a time that's sort of refreshing and, and reflective. And that was that was the big uh, focus of that um, in our most recent thing was, you know, during Advent, I mean, really during Advent, you wouldn't traditionally sing Christmas songs. You wouldn't, mm-hmm. 
decorate. Would you be fasting? You think you'd be fasting? Yeah. Yeah. One of my early introductions to being a minister was attending the Cambus Lang Churches Together group, which um, well, you probably weren't involved in that. Oh, did you ever do that in your reach out days, Jen? I know you would have done. You know, I don't think I'm, I don't think I was the connection to the Cambus Lang Convention. No, <laughs> when no, I first arrived no. in Cambus Lang Rutherland, there was a Cambus Lang Rutherland Convention. Oh right, mm-hmm. which oh right, no, um, mostly affiliated, I think, to the Keswick Convention. Oh right. oh right, and was it a re- was right. it related to the revival? No, it didn't go quite that far back. Because but... Reach Out was a celebration of the revival, the youth organisation. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, somebody I arrived and somebody had done a carol, a Christmas carol service at the start of December, where they had only sung Advent carols, and people were raging. So they were trying to digest this. <laughs> people were raging. They were. Yes. All these people had turned up looking forward to sing Heart right. the Herald, and it was yeah. Oh come, oh come, and yell, and on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cried. <laughs> <laughs> oh well anyway so if you're looking for something to listen to I would I hesitate to recommend my own thing but I would recommend the advent because I think it's go good. ahead Fiona it's great yeah. okay that's good uh, right it is time for Glover's Others now we have had Zechariah Eli Delilah Gad Baruch Abimelech Amos, Isaiah, David's three friends, Hagar, Obedidom, Palmoni, Almoni, Jephthah's daughter, Rahab, Joshua, Balaam, Aaron, Jethro, and Bilhah. Neil, it's over to you. Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. So to keep the sequence that began with Abimelech, I was tempted to go today for Elias, who would fit with that. And the reason I would have been wanting to do that is at quarter past seven today, I'm going to marry Elias and Lauren. Who, wow. Yeah. Uh, and he, it's going to be a low-key ceremony because uh, he's American and she's Scottish uh, and they're going to have their big shindigs later on. But this is the, the legal thing. Um but Elias, which is the New Testament word for Elijah, not really a bit character. I don't think we could really say that. So I'm going to go in the same sequence. I'm going to go for Herodias, who was both, it's both the name of the second wife of the, the John the Baptist, Herod, and also possibly the name of the daughter. And it's the daughter I want to think about. So she's the one who, who dances uh, for her stepfather and so pleases him that he says you can have anything you want is it up to half my kingdom I think he says um yeah even half my kingdom and she consults with her mother and the mother says um get John the Baptist's head on a platter so John goes and gets beheaded and in a sense in the gospel they are presented as uniquely scheming conniving individuals, this mother and daughter pair who bring down this noble prophet, John the Baptist. I was struck yesterday, I was talking to someone who was describing to me a a peace service that actually their husband had been to. And during that service, the person leading it had asked people to contemplate the deepest darkness that they were aware of at the present time. And the person who went spent time contemplating people who are victims of violence in the wars that are happening 
at the moment. And then they became aware that there was an even deeper darkness, which was the darkness of the perpetrators. And they they said they felt that the, at least there was a nobility for people who were victims, that this person is connected to the situations. They were hearing words of defiance, of hope, and also within the Christian hope. But for the perpetrators, they said, this is an even deeper darkness. And then the person talking to me said, that is why the New Testament tells us to pray for our enemies, because their predicament is even darker than that of their victims. I was really struck by that. And I, I look at Herodias and Herodias and think when the New Testament says pray for our enemies, these people caught up in the system of violence and exploitation and this girl who has to please her mother by asking for the death of another man, her situation is even darker. And it's people like Herodias that we're asked to pray for when we're asked to love and to pray for our enemies. Thank you. I feel I'm I'm still mulling that. Because that's quite a it's quite a strong statement to say that the darkness is deeper. Yeah, I, I think you need to have a an eternal perspective, don't you, to 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 say that. Yeah, I think I'm partly saying it because I want because to, the darkness. Oh, what I mean is the darkness is very deep for the victim. Yeah, yeah. But maybe it's the source of the darkness. That's what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there's a way you, you could say that which minimizes the 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 suffering of the victim, and I hope it didn't sound like that. And all I would say is the person who was speaking this to me is at times overwhelmed by what victims are experiencing. So I think that person has an integrity when they move to that next Mm. space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I hope that didn't sound like a minimizing. And if it did, I very much would want to say, I apologize, but but the person who was describing that to me would be very aware of mm-hmm. what people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a on a side note, Herodias rather than Herodias. Yeah, I don't know the right way. That this is like Abimelech and Abimelech, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> the touch of the Abimelechs to it. Good. Uh, so that is the latest, and we're still looking for that connection. Uh, so that's Abimelech. Baruch, Gad, Delilah, Eli, Zechariah, and now Herodias. Yes, or Herodias. Or Herodias, okay. Any thoughts on that or indeed on anything that you like? Contact us at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Now, last time we were in Corinth, and this episode we are moving on to Ephesus, a city that we know actually quite a lot about. Uh, We're reading in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 41. So now is your moment to pause the podcast and either listen or read to that chapter before we start. I said we knew quite a lot about Ephesus. It's this great centre, isn't it, in the ancient world? Yeah, sort of economically, it's by the time Paul's there, it's starting to decrease in its status, something to do with the harbour failing and this, the harbour becoming full of silt that's washed off the, the hills, I suppose. Um, so the temple of Artemis, which I didn't know was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, um, it's it's increased even more because the, the sort of, tour, I don't know if you'd call it tourism, maybe it is tourism, yeah. <laughs> selling objects and the economy from the, from the temple has had to increase mm-hmm. because actually... The, economically and they're not doing as well as they were yeah yeah 
It's interesting reading John Stott on this. John's been John Stott, John on one first name terms. Uh he's he's been a kind of our companion commentator through a lot of this, hasn't he? And he it's interesting one how excited he gets when Paul starts moving into urban contexts. Because John Stott himself, of course, was in London, but he was passionate about Jesus in the city. And he breaks this down into thinking about Athens as the intellectual centre, uh, Corinth as the commercial centre, and then Ephesus as the religious centre. And he teases out those themes, doesn't he, of those three cities. So we're, we're for him, we're into the religious urban environment. I, I, but it's, and there's, are you questioning that though? Because you, you oh no 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 I'm not. I'm, a bit, no, I, I don't think I, I, I am. Were they going to say something else there? Sorry. No, I just tuned into the fact that I, it really struck me how I think excited is the right part. How excited John Stott gets about mission in a city context. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's also moving into the age of a new continent, isn't it? By going to Ephesus. Yes, although yeah. he's been here before, I think. So he's been yeah. to Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. so Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of, yeah. It's on the edge of Asia. Is that... Um, well, I don't think it is. It's south, central, south, south coast. Central Turkey. Yeah. The, yeah. the edge of Asia stuff is really true, as that's the, mm. okay. that's the one, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, it, there's no doubt that spiritual, I mean, spirituality and spiritual powers. I think I think we'll mm. talk about this quite mm. a lot. Probably mm. um, that is very much the the background to all this, isn't it? So, so this yeah. temple is enormous. Mm. Artemis being a god of goddess of fertility, mm -hmm. um, and all the all the sort of trappings around that seems to have been, you know, like you say, Jen, the, the kind of driving force to to the economic reality. Mm -hmm. I guess lots of people's jobs caught yeah, up absolutely. in in the religious environment. And it's interesting to think how much fertility matters to people. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're in a an economy where you're already very close to the edge, then the fertility of your fields really matters. And then the fertility of your family, you know, having offspring really matters. And then that then gets aligned to a kind of the whole thing I think about sexuality as well. So those two things come together in mm -hmm. that real concern for fertility. Mm-hmm. So here's Paul. We've, we've we've seen him in Athens. We've seen him in Corinth. He spent three years in Corinth, and he travels on. Interestingly, we start with the the information that Apollos is is in Corinth. So I, I think did we touch on this last time? We did. Did I, Paul I, move yeah. on? Uh -huh. I remember they're talking about how I, I like Paul for this that he's yes. able to move on because Apollos is doing what he was doing really. So no point in me hanging about here. I'll go and do something else. And I think we talked. Did we not talk about about um? the need for us to be able to do that in the church today. Mm. We did. Particularly and my age group or yes. our age group. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we did. Let That's go. Right. Yeah. That's and right. it's a swap, isn't it? Because Apollos starts in Ephesus and then jumps to Corinth mm. and Paul does the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine them passing on the road. So uh, Paul, <laughs> <laughs> Paul takes the road through the interior and he arrives at Ephesus, it says. And uh, he then finds this group of people mm -hmm. and he, they're described as disciples and he asks them about the Holy Spirit. Mm. What, what, what are we making of all of that? Yeah, when I was reading it, the, the NIV says that they, their answer to Paul is, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, but maybe one commentator said maybe a better translation of that would be, we have not even heard that the Holy Spirit is available. Like, they know that the Holy Spirit's around, but they didn't know it was available for them, which I, I, I wonder, you know, that's quite an interesting thought. That, that was for other people, it's for... 
teachers, leaders, not for them, just ordinary people who are oh, following see, Jesus. Oh, I see. Because that's not what yep. I thought you meant there. Because I thought mm-hmm. you meant as in they didn't, they, they knew that the Holy Spirit existed, but that not that he was a personal Hmm. Yeah, but it could be that Personally as well, available it? to them. It wasn't available to them. But just as I said that, I was thinking maybe uh-huh. it, it was, you know, he is, the, he is there um, doing things, but not for us. It could uh-huh. be either, couldn't it? Uh-huh. I think my, there's, there's a couple of things here. Firstly, I think my guess is what's happened is that John the Baptist did talk about the Holy Spirit. He said, um, Jesus, I baptize you with, is it? Yeah, one, one comes after me. Water, yes, with fire. I was preaching on that chapter at the weekend. Well, yeah. Anyway, total aside, yes. Oh, yeah. It's not that's that's not a tangent. Here's no, a well, passage. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I oh, I preached on it at the weekend. <laughs> um, the and I wonder if, as the message of John the Baptist has made its way north into Asia Minor, people have dropped the bit of the Holy Spirit bit because they want to put the emphasis on to John. That's that's my guess. Um, and I think what's happened is is a, a version of faith which emphasizes forgiveness but doesn't doesn't talk about renewals. It's an incomplete version. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me wonder how much is that present in our churches. So that's yes. the first thing um I'm thinking about with this. So, so by that you're saying that they, these these people would effectively be disciples of John. Yes, although so this is the second difficulty. Yeah. So clearly this passage seems to sit ajar or seems to be slightly different in its perspective from other bits of the New Testament. So what do you do with that? So it, it feels different because one, it calls these people disciples. And normally when that word gets used, it's disciples of Jesus. Secondly, um, Paul says, when you became believers, which once again would imply that they've become believers in in Christ. And then Paul says, you haven't um, received the Holy Spirit, receive that now. So this is problematic because it seems to suggest there's a category of Christian believer which hasn't received Mm. the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? So there are two schools. One is you squeeze the text to, to try and get it to fit in with everything else. So you say, well, Maybe disciples here means disciples of John and maybe believers, but they're only so-called believers. And you you minimize the text in order to get it fit with all the rest. Mm-hmm. My own view, which is different from that, which is let's live with the uncomfortableness of this. It seems to be ajar with other, or it seems to be going across other texts, but just live with the difficulty. It doesn't quite fit. And for me, it feels inevitable that Luke seems to be saying these are Christian disciples, they are believers, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't fit. And to live with the discomfort of that, that's my... The other question, though, just when you're talking about that, Neil, is why didn't the Holy Spirit just fill them? Like, that's that's what I would say now. You know, if you're having a conversation with someone about, you know, maybe they they started following Jesus... um, but now they felt they needed, did they need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and live with them now at a later stage? You would, I would say, oh no, when, when you come to Jesus, Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's a gift. It's not something we do. We don't have to ask. Uh-huh. So, so why, why do these, and this is making it more complicated, but why hasn't that happened? Even though they don't know that the Holy Spirit was available, why has God not just filled them with the Holy Spirit? Did they need to, is there something you know about, about this interaction? Well, that's a, that's, that would yeah. be my question to that. Yeah, because so not, because what Paul says to them is John's baptism. So he asks them about which baptism. They say John's baptism, and he in verse four says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. 
Mm. On hearing this, they were baptized in the, it, the yeah. So the next verse says, "On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." So is is it that there's only a partial understanding, not of the Holy Spirit, but of Jesus? Yeah. That makes I find that easier to sit with. That they actually didn't know Jesus because why? If they did know Jesus, why hadn't He given them the Holy Spirit? So, yeah. so you would you would have the interpretation that when it says disciples, it means disciples of John. And when it refers to when you became believers, that word believers should be put in quotes or to some extent, or believers in John, I guess. But, well, sorry, where are you saying that it says believers? Uh, when uh, Paul says to them, did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you became believers? It's, uh, oh, that's interesting, because the NIV has when you believed. Well, I mean, it's still the same. It still has the same question to it, you know, believed in what? But yes. Paul seems to be exceeding that they've believed in something yes yeah i mean it's it's an an interesting question to sit with isn't it because Mm. it also makes me think about you know earlier on in acts we talked a lot about um the likes of cornelius who were god fearers you know and that seemed to be the term that's used of people who are are interested and drawn towards god but don't have the full picture of the gospel there's an incompleteness whatever it is isn't it Uh uh-huh because i don't i don't think the normal situation would be that you meet jesus and you follow him and you believe, and then the, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's normal. There's, there's, there's an incompleteness going on here. Yeah, and the, when people discuss this text, the, the often the text which comes from the other side, if I can use that phrase, it also comes from the letter to the Ephesians. So in First Corinthians, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writing to the group of believers in Ephesus, in him you also... When you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So in this verse, it seems that all these events are happening at the same time, and you cannot have the first yes. three without having the last one. Because all... surely there's a generative, there's a regenerative mm-hmm. role of the Spirit, right? Yep. So that, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? That when, when you become a Christian, there is a there's a work of the Spirit in you, and that's that's what makes you a christian i suppose <laughs> do you know yeah. and and we and that mm. muddles for all of us for lots of us isn't it because we you know we've had these conversations before on here about you know crossing the line and the and the sort of journey of faith but that there is to to my understanding there is a work of the holy spirit that has to happen because it's a work of grace in order for somebody to to be a, a, a disciple a believer we as other human beings might not know exactly where that falls uh-huh but the Holy Spirit knows exactly where that falls. I think the power of this story is to warn us or to, to point us to the essential nature of the Holy Spirit in the believers' lives. Mm-hmm. And I would go as far as to say also to draw us towards the fact that there, there is a supernatural element to that, which we see in this story here of people prophesying and uh, praying in tongues. And for me, the power of this story is to warn us or ask us, make us ask a question. Okay, we might not be as as clearly saying we've never heard of the Holy Spirit and we've only heard of John the Baptist. Um, I don't think there's anybody I've, I've met in a church who said, oh, I've only heard of John the Baptist. I've never heard of Jesus. I've never met that person. But I would say to myself, there are certainly times where we have minimized the role of the Holy Spirit within our life. And I've also minimized the supernatural. And perhaps what this story does in a very extreme form is, is make us ask a question about where this phenomenon is present in a, a more subtle form. Yeah, yeah, that's and it, helpful. 
I like that Paul asks the question. Mm. I wonder how it came up. Yeah. It didn't. It, sometimes you read, I mean, it wasn't just walking along the road and he met them and the first thing he said was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? We'd also got to know them, I presume, and had sitting with them and having a meal maybe. And there was something in the way they spoke and how they described their belief that he had to ask that question. And I, I don't think... We don't ask each other those kind of questions yes. in a church setting, mm. do we? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know the Holy Spirit? And sometimes, and maybe we're scared because it sounds quite—it sounds like we're saying, "Have you, have you got what I've got?" Uh-huh. Like we're being we're judgmental about somebody's relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and and people have struggled with this, haven't they? So there, certainly, I know of churches and of fellowships and organisations where. Uh, maybe uh, a group of people have gone to a Christian conference which has emphasized the Holy Spirit. They've come back and it's been a really hard thing for church uh, leadership groups to wrestle with. How do we, what what do we do here where there, there appears to be one group who are emphasizing, for example, maybe praying in tongues or something like that. And other people are now feeling like second class Christians because of that. And that, and then, but then the other group are saying, "Well, I've I've discovered a new power that I didn't previously recognize, and I want other people to experience that." This 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 has been a very real and and painful um, um, phenomenon that has ex- been experienced by many Christians and in many Christian fellowships. Because maybe because we put the emphasis on the behaviours that come from knowing from receiving the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if that isn't really the point of the story. You know, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, but that wasn't the re- there was more to the Holy Spirit being part of their lives than just that. Whereas we try to em- we emphasize that maybe or this is what's happened to me. The kind of phenomena sort yeah. of yeah. Which yeah. is part of it, but not the whole story. And then people would say you as well as having the gifts of the Spirit, you also need the fruit of the Spirit. Those two need to go together. And the fruit of the Spirit tend to be about moral change. And the gifts of the Spirit tend to point to more more towards supernatural phenomenon. And you need both. Great. And it is, I mean, what I find interesting about this is that the, the having not had the Holy Spirit, suddenly they have the gifts of the fruit of the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the ability to speak tongues and speak in tongues and, and prophesy. Interesting, isn't it? Um, so there is, there is. I think we've already established a kind of spiritual temperature, haven't we, in, in Ephesus. So Paul is is given power to, to speak boldly. He talks about him speaking boldly for three months and persuasively. Uh, but it stirs up trouble within the place. Yeah, the, it's there is something interesting here about Paul using persuasion. So it's, it seems that he's trying to speak to the mind as well as to the emotions. There seems to be a holistic view. He's talking about reason. I'm interested to think, how do you how do you argue persuasively in the synagogue? It has to be from the script, from the Old Testament. So there's a sense that he starts from a shared understanding and moves towards a new understanding. And he he's taking people with with him at that point so is he talking about Isaiah 53 at that point is he talking um about the promise to the son of David it is how much is he talking about the experience of the resurrection that they've had and then what's really interesting is then he he then goes into this what's called the lecture hall of Tyrannus now some texts have this and some people don't so he says from 11 o'clock in the morning to four in the afternoon I don't know if you've got that in your version so, no, it's not what an idea. So it's this is a footnote. This is a, it just says discussions daily. Oh yes, in the yeah, yeah. 
so two years. This is one of the things where there's two very strong early manuscripts for Acts, and sometimes they're out of sync with each other. Um, this is really interesting. So Tyrannus means tyrant or ogre. So what kind of guy was he who had this hall? Mm. It seems that it was rented from 11 o'clock to four in the afternoon. And that's the time that everybody stopped. So everybody yes. gets up in the morning, they work hard, and then it gets too hot. That's the point at which Paul gives up tent making. He's probably pretty tired. Uh-huh. And now he's going to argue for five hours or speak. Um, and he's going to do this for, is it two years? Two years, two years. Yeah. So somebody reckoned this is 3,000 hours of Paul contending for the gospel i mean that's quite a commitment it's huge it's huge isn't yeah. it yeah yeah absolutely can i absolutely. just sorry Fiona, can i go back to the asia comment yes because it does say here in this wee bit uh, the greeks who lived in the province of asia and i was just looking up where i'd got where i'd bought i've been reading and i think ephesus was the head of the sort of the government head for asia for the roman empire so that's maybe where i got my confusion from for a different angle so as in as in Asia Minor, as in what we would, as in Turkey. Yeah, it just said the the provincial seat of Roman government in Asia. Okay. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an, I mean it's an important place, isn't it? That, like, yeah. And later on, I think they'll call the people the rulers the Asiarchs. So that's what they were called. So one of the one of the strong kind of corroborating things for the historical accuracy of of Luke. We talked before about how maybe he moves some of the order around to make a point. And I think he's very interested in a geography, which is radiating out. But he also gets a lot of these details right. And not not just right in a way that everybody knew that. He gets it right because for the specific time period in which this was happening, these titles were in use. And then later on, people used other titles and Luke gets the right ones for the right period. So p- people are pretty impressed by that, by Luke. Yeah, yeah. And so, like sharp segue here, but can we talk about the handkerchiefs and the oh, yeah. cloth? <laughs> it's, it's just one strange thing after another. It, if you want to use it? that word, uh-huh. isn't it? I don't understand the hankies, and like, why would Paul allow the hanky thing to happen? And is it just because I'm such a different cultural perspective that the why is this going on? Why why are people touching the hankies and God's healing them? It's um. So that we talked about this, I I love Paul in Corinth because we've got First Corinthians and Second Corinthians in the background, all the struggles with the church, and I can really relate to that. And I, and for me, Corinth hits this high point in First Corinthians fifteen, which is the great chapter about resurrection, and thirteen, which is about love. Ephesians, I struggle much more with. Um, Partly because Ephesians as a letter is much more serene, although we, we can modify that in a wee minute. But also because, and I'm going to use the word advisedly, everything gets a wee bit weird. Now, weird... That's the... exactly the word I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> so weird has an older meaning. Now it just means a little bit odd, but it used to mean that which contains the supernatural or cannot be explained. You know, we've got these handkerchiefs and we've got this... this... And aprons. I like that Paul was we- wearing an apron. We, would, that be the sil- would that be the silversmith apron? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All this stuff. <laughs> the protective gear. I I can imagine if we didn't live in our Western society where we're so used to eradicating the weird because we've all become so enlightenment based and so intellectual, we'd really get this. Yeah. And I, I th- yeah, I think there's something which I think the Celts would get this 
a bit more than us educated enlightenment scholars. Well, it's like icons and things, isn't mm. it? Or um, what's the word? When you have a piece of a piece of a piece of uh, Peter's leg Toe. or something, relics. <laughs> Relics. Yes. Yeah. You know, we can mock them and disparage them, but for the people at the time, it was such a way of connecting with God. You know, yeah. we shouldn't shouldn't be too harsh. Maybe mm-hmm. I can re- I can remember that although in my Presbyterian upbringing, nobody ever went round with handkerchiefs or aprons, and maybe we should have done it. In fact, I think one of the big thrusts of my book is we de-weirded the church, and it's really cost us. But we did always have um, water from the River Jordan, which was used in our mm, baptisms. Baptisms, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, there you go, hankies and hankies and aprons. Um, I mean, to me, it's, it does speak of the fact that there's a there's a there's a spiritual weirdness. I think weirdness mm-hmm. is a yeah. good word actually. Mm-hmm. And God is at work. Field. There's a spiritual yeah. temperature yeah. in the city yeah. for for good and ill. Um, yeah. And yeah. and actually, that makes me want to come back to something you just said, Neil, because you just said that the letter to the Ephesians was serene. But surely when you get to Ephesians 6 and we're talking about the spiritual armour and the powers and authorities and principalities. Yeah, I had never made the connection between Paul in Ephesus and chapter 6 of Ephesians, led yeah. to the Ephesians before until I got into this. And it made much more sense. Why so I was talking much about sense, that. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Serene's the wrong word. Help me find a better word here. So it is often called the Queen of the Epistles and it, it, it's, it does have this serene quality but you're right in 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 chapter six what it doesn't have is you know paul saying some of you are in court cases against one another um can't believe that you're eating your your communion meals before everybody else you know corinthians is a much more gritty book but you're right it's there is a heavy amount of conflict particularly towards the end of ephesians six um yeah it's it's a very it's a very spiritually aware book. Yes. Ephesians. But then presumably the early church in Ephesus was a very spiritually aware church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're seeing that here, aren't we? And after all these things happening. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And you've got you've got these, um, the people who didn't know the Holy Spirit, you've got um, the hankies and the aprons, and then we're, well, maybe this is where you're taking us to, Fiona, but the next bit, <laughs> when people are getting beaten up and attacked. Yes. Uh, because they're trying to, chase out evil spirits without the holy spirit yes yes and there's the burning of the scrolls yeah and the sorcerers and the sorcerers so it it focuses us on the fact that we are engaged in spiritual conflict in fact paul says that in ephesians 6 we're not wrestling against flesh and blood we're wrestling against spiritual powers and what he also says is do not give up the wrestling you know be strong stand firm don't don't give up this is difficult stuff when I was writing the book, I wrote a section, a chapter on dealing with structures, um, which is a part of our sorts of church. And one of the, the key points I'm, I was wanting to explore, and we talked about this before, is that all structures are spiritual. They have a spiritual dimension and a material dimension, and the two go together. And you see that in the New Testament. And one of the mistakes that we make is when we don't perceive the spirituality of our structures. So we don't see committees as spiritual. We don't see institutions as spiritual. We think of them only as buildings or as a, something on an organizational chart. And if we do that, then we'll actually never change them because we're only dealing with the surface. And when I'd written that chapter, what really struck me was the number of references I'd made to Ephesians through 
through that chapter, particularly when Ephesians talks about powers, authorities, rules, because there's not many committees in the New Testament, but there are a lot about powers, thrones, rulers, authorities, how that gets exercised. And you can see that as well, can't you, in Acts chapter 19, and you can see how that sits as a counterpart to the, the book of Ephesians. So it's a very spiritually aware chapter. And what's remarkable, I guess, is that Paul is as adept in the intellectual arena of Athens as he is in the spiritually charged atmosphere of Ephesus. Yes, and and he's. Are we assuming that he encourages the thinking about the, the burning of the scrolls, thinking about the the the, the destruction of of the, you know, the, I suppose it's a it's a it's a symbolism, isn't it, of of a destruction of a previous power, as people turn to to the power of the Holy Spirit. Are, are we thinking he's he's um, encouraging that? It doesn't. Or is read it a byproduct yeah. of what he's doing? Mm-hmm. It doesn't read that he's encouraging no. it. It seems to me be more connected with their confessions. Mm-hmm. So their confession of all that they've been involved in and their secrecy of what they're involved in. We have knowledge and we have we have this power, but you don't know, other people don't know about this. I mean, it made me think about the magic. Well, my knowledge of that is really only the magic circle. I, mean, I know that's not quite, that's not the same, but you're a magician, you keep your, your magic tricks secret. So I, I hadn't thought before that the, the burning, the physical burning, which we react against, obviously, because... Burning books is not a good thing. It's terrible. But they do something to show their confession. It's acted out. The words they've said is acted out to show that they're letting go of this secret that they were holding to make them part of that power. Yes. I, When we were thinking about today, I was thinking I react against this. You've alluded to that already, Jen, about mm-hmm. the book burning. I, I, And I think where I went to was because I've read quite a lot of uh, Native American experiences of Christianity the Christians came in and they immediately destroyed a whole bunch of aspects of Indian culture and are not a indigenous culture and they would have probably taken texts like this and the person who I was reading Richard Twist would still talk about sweat lodges for example as an important part of his Christian experience he would talk about dancing as an important part of his Christian experience all of which were banned he talks about having powwows now, it strikes me, though, that there's a difference. As you've alluded to, Jen, this is the destruction of, of the power of secrets. So where you have an expression of spirituality which says, our person has a particular secret and you pay them money and they um, cast a spell or, or do a, a blessing, then that form, I think, is always suspect. But it doesn't mean that all the cultural practices of a no. particular culture. And I think Fiona's question is really important then is it is it Paul that made them do this or is it them that are doing it? So they're mm. not they're not being told by an outside no. person to burn their culture. They are they have been inspired or encouraged by by Jesus, by God to do this. It's, it's an internal thing. We we want to do this to show that we're for Jesus. It's not but it's not being forced upon them. It's like they've worked it so it seems a spontaneous reaction. Mm-hmm as you said, and it feels like they are working out within themselves which parts of our culture are unhealthy that we need to get rid of, and we'll work that out. Mm-hmm. As you said, Jane, it's, they're not being told by an outsider to get rid of certain mm-hmm. things. They're working out themselves. What in the culture do we get rid of? Yes, and, and is there a destruction of the power of that thing? So the, the power that, that ha- the hold that has over them, you know, the power of the secret, the power of, of 
over other people that comes with that. Um, so there's there's a kind of laying down of that. But as we're speaking, it's sort of reminding me of um, of Daniel. You know the, the thing in Daniel where where there are certain things they will choose to to go along with, and there are certain things yeah. that they, you know that's yeah. the, the the line for them, isn't it? And, and that's curious because we we never. I always find the Daniel story quite interesting from that point of view that they're willing to have their their name changed, and that's a you know a huge part of your identity, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's about our discipleship for all of us. What it means to follow Jesus. There'll be things that we have to put aside. Because they've got too much hold on us, uh-huh. mm. and yes. and that'll be between us and God. I mean, I'm even you know this could seem little things, but like I put my I plug my phone in away from my bedroom, and I know that's a good thing to do anyway. But I think because partly because it's got too much hold on me, I don't want to be that. But the first thing that I look at, it's still kind of is it's not the first thing I think about because I'm thinking when I wake up, I still go and get it when I get out of bed. But it's a it's a wee example of putting something away. And there's much, much bigger things we might have to do in our lives. Things that we can't, we can't follow. Je- For us, it's too difficult to follow Jesus and have that thing. And we have to put it away. And in this way, isn't it interesting that just after the burning of the scrolls, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Something about them doing that, that meant there was space mm. for Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the laying down of their power. And it was costly. I mean, it, it cost money. It was a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah, it was but a it, lot. But, it's, but following Jesus is costly. We, we, we're not really good at talking about that, is it? We're going to be things that we, we have to give up because Jesus asks us to. I can't just be the person. I can't just do what I want to do. Yeah. But not because he's a dictator, but because <laughs> we know that living his mm. way is the best way. Yeah. I'm, I'm challenged by that thing about the phones. Yeah. <laughs> So we got my alarm clock somewhere. But anyway, that's a whole the whole conversation. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just old and wake up at the same yeah. time. Every <laughs> Good. So let's let's move on to the the next section, which is the the riot uh, in this enormous building. Jen, I think before we started, you were did you say there were twenty four thousand people? Yeah. Well, Neil thought there was twenty five thousand, but I mean, okay. we had a heated specific. argument. <laughs> a heated argument before we before we hit record. It's large. A large. It's a lot of people. Place. Yes, a lot of people all gathered. The kind of mob mentality, I guess, isn't it? Is um, is at work here uh, there's the there's the thing about some people being very clear about why they're there others clearly just carried along by the the madness of the crowd yeah, yeah. if I was pushed to give my favorite verse of the bible it might have to be that one <laughs> which one <laughs> some were shouting one thing someone another some another most of the people did not even know why they were there <laughs> we've I've been in many situations in my life like that it's very true it's very what true this? what are we doing Luke often makes these little sideswipes, doesn't he? About you know, it's like that line about the Ephesians. They like nothing more than to talk about all the latest yes. ideas. It's yeah. that kind of the little sides. That's yeah. what makes it kind of human, doesn't it? Um, and so then Paul, Paul, I suppose, has the. It seems to be that he wants to go and make a defence. Yeah, yeah. And everybody yeah. holds him back. And why, why are they holding him back? Well, is it about the power again? Do you know, is it about, is, it, is the defence the human power that Paul is persuasive or or is it that by standing back, God's power is, is at work in the midst of it? I mean, Paul, all his travelling companions rushed into the theatre, but they don't want him to do that. Or maybe they're in the theatre, they just don't want him to speak. It must have been quite hard to say to Paul, who's been, for two years, he's mm. been yes. speaking to all these people and they're saying, no, this is not the time for you to speak. Have you ever been in church situations where somebody kind of has been at the root of a conflict? I mean, they may not have done anything wrong, but they've, they've still, the way they are has caused conflict to happen. And 
some people are upset and they go, oh, I'll just go and talk to them. And you go, no, stay away for a minute. <laughs> it feels like that sort of situation. But there's also a, thing, a sense that they're wanting to protect Paul, aren't they? Yeah. It is a strange one, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Weird. We're back mm-hmm. to being a weird again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and and clearly there, there's 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 the disturbance there's the there's the um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is is when we when we stir up things things get stirred up yeah mm, right yeah. so in the spirituality around the economics of the area the sort of fears that are around that and it's giving it's also by him not speaking he gives the clerk the place to speak. I mean, I've often been, I mean, you can imagine I do talk quite a lot sometimes in committee meetings or these kind of things. And it's letting, hearing God sometimes saying, this isn't the time for you to speak. It's a time for someone else to speak. And if Paul had spoken, the clerk wouldn't have quieted the crowd and said these conciliatory words that then allow things to move on. And Paul himself has kept safe. Yep. Yeah, he's kept safe. I'm desperate for this guy to become a Christian later on because I really like him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. maybe he says something about me. I quite like the diplomatic bureaucrat. You like the administrators? We've said <laughs> that before. I do. <laughs> You're he, drawn he to is, them. He is very brave, isn't he? Because uh-huh. it, it, it sounds violent and everybody's being swept along and anything could have happened. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that he totally plays up to them, though, as well. Citizens of Ephesus, who's there that does not know that the great Artemis and the statue from, which fell from heaven, these things cannot be denied. Totally. I did, pla- re- I did read that the, uh, the Artemis uh, statue may have been a meteorite. Oh, interesting. Falling from heaven. Very interesting. I I have, a, lumps, I have a read. lumps and bumps on it. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed, it would seem but, so. But no, no, I just have this read that I think there's something about him. I think he is deeply skeptical that it ever fell from heaven, but he mm. he thinks he knows that the right thing to say. I need to get the mob with me here. This yeah. is how you do and, this. And then he says, and if this is if this is true, you really just should calm down. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. Imagine somebody saying that yeah, at exactly. a heated meeting. But and he obviously does carry carry authority because yeah. he just dismisses the assembly, right? Off you go. That's it. On you go. We're, we're in danger of <laughs> being charged ourselves. Yes. <laughs> he reminds me a bit of Gamaliel and um, way back, you know, that kind of conciliatory wise figure who is able to take his people with him. I was thinking it was like a really good um, high school uh, head teacher. Yes. yes. Dismissing the assembly. I know. That's right. Just bringing a bit of order, right? We just need to calm down. No, no. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Well, is there anything else that we, we desperately wanted to, to bring to today's discussion? I'm aware that time is passing. I feel more disposed towards Ephesus. Thank you. <laughs> for this well, year. Neil, just wait till next time. Because oh, next time yeah. is the lovely encounter yeah. on the, the beach at Miletus. Yeah, that was never in doubt. That bit with, was... all, with, with all the generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll come to that next time. Brilliant. Okay, so your takeaway. So, Neil, you're more disposed towards the Ephesians. Jen, you've got a takeaway? Well, I think my takeaway is something we didn't really talk about. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's connected to what we talked about, but we talked about recognising that things are spiritual. But often I dismiss that because I'm a 21st century person, <laughs> educated, aware of medical things. No, um, and I said, we don't want to say, oh, that, that was a spiritual power that caused that to happen. Or 
I don't want to say, no, this this happened because of this and that, but and be very pragmatic. And recognising Jesus is in that. So I, I think I need to think a bit more about that, struggle with it, but what does it actually mean for our my context and culture? Yeah. Well, mine would be, I think, around the Holy Spirit. So, so somebody, one of you said something about, uh, you know, how often do we have the conversation with people about the Holy Spirit? And I think that's that's challenged me a bit to, to have that conversation a little bit more. You could do that next time you preach, Fiona. That's true. <laughs> do you have the Holy Spirit? That's true. <laughs> Just say <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Very good. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, Jen. What's the Jen? What's the Jen? Trying to keep What's up with Jen? reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Jen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Jen? Your guide to current thinking. Today, we're going to think a wee bit about Generation Alpha, which are the generation bef- oh, after uh, Gen Z, um, born between 2010 and 2024. So some of them haven't even been born yet. So they're very young. Our toddlers, our children, our early teenagers. Um, so this is the first generation to grow up entirely in the 21st century. Uh, they've been raised by digital natives. So not only are they digital natives, but the, their parents, carers are. And they live fully in an age of artificial intelligence. Now, as always with these uh, generational things, it's not stereotyping people. It's just helping to give us a wee insight into what's going on for this culture. Um, And this is a well-known statistic, maybe, that two-thirds of children who are starting primary school now will be in jobs that don't even exist yet. So it's a very fast-moving culture. Um, There's limited research on this group um, and there's very little faith-based research on them and any research there is is Western-based and mainly in the US um, because they're children and actually, for various reasons, harder to research. Um, 57% of them own a smartphone. 41% have been speaking to a smart speaker since before they were six and 66% started using tablets, not medication, um, (laughs) When they were under five. So that is quite significant. Yeah. 40, now, social media would say that you should really be 13 before you have your own profile, but 46% of seven to 12 year olds have their own social media accounts. And 64% of them, when asked what they would rather be, they'd rather be an influencer yes. than the president of the United States. But interesting, they interact with social media quite differently than previous generations, which is maybe more. But for me, my generation is about showing your life and showing what you do. Um, They're about creating new content and much more about being creative and influencing, obviously. Um, And when they play games, like video games, it's a very old term, um, 73% of 8 to 11-year-olds do that every day, but they mainly do it in community with other people and often with their parents because their parents are digital natives. Interesting. And they bring savvy to the digital world. They've got skills that we don't have. Uh, They're dealing with it in a new way and they can help the other generations. But they do need adults to bring wisdom, relationship and critical thinking to what they're doing. And actually, we might think that just having devices is the problem, but the bit of research that's been done is showing that actually parents, their parents being distracted by their own digital devices is a big influence on this age group. Not about the devices themselves, but how families manage them. Um, blended families, cohabiting families, single parents, same-sex parents are all normal for this generation, growing up in a very different world. And they do have higher social awareness than many other generations. 
Um, from a Christian perspective, um, Christian families, 50, only about half percent of families who'd say they were Christian are reading the Bible with this age group of children and praying with them. How can we support them? One of my questions. Bibles for Bairns might be a way. That encourage, way. encourage, get these Scottish uh, generation of Alpha uh, registered for their own children's Bible. Um, and for those who, who are not in Christian families, their parents are the generation that created the nuns, not nuns, N-U-N, but those of no faith. Um, but they have a huge hunger for community. And actually, it's been quite influenced by their COVID experience as well. So where is, what, how are we offering that to this generation? Uh, and COVID had a huge impact, huge impact in anxiety and stress, not just for this generation, but for their parents and carers. And there's a whole lot of work to be done in this. Actually, when I read all this, I thought, oh, my goodness, this could be my PhD. Uh, Generation Alpha. Jenny should do it. And also, <laughs> this is starting to just feel like a conversation between you and me, but um, do you know that I'm running a phone course at the moment with my friend Jenny Wally? So a what course? A phone course. for We're piloting a course for sort of primary six, primary seven age. All right. About how phone etiquette and and the spirituality of your phone your philosophy towards your phone um and we're piloting it with a wee group and they're mostly boys um oh, nice. the group that we're piloting with and that's that's been quite fascinating to me so they're mostly primary sevens and we've got one s one boy one of them has a phone the others haven't yet got a smartphone yeah but they're 57 percent do well yes indeed and when you were talking yeah. but you were talking about social media though it's fascinating because they're all they're all gamers well, they're not gamers. That that makes it sound very dramatic. Oh, yeah. You know, they they they're, they're very Everyday, much in that world, and, that, and yeah. that's a social media. It that's is, but it's community, media. which I've, YouTube, I loved about these things. Exactly, and YouTube is a huge thing for them as well. Um, it's been it's been really interesting actually, kind of yeah. developing that. So yeah, I'd love watch, to hear about that. Watch the space, Jen. You'd be mm-hmm. yeah. We should have a conversation actually. And about that, that ties into what they said about most of them. Social media is about creating content. It's yes. not just about presenting yes. yourself. That's and why YouTube. Yes, and certainly these these boys that we're working with, they're deeply creative. Um, and g- good understanding of of what they're doing, but it's also a terrifying world that we're you know kind of but trying to help them. They negotiate. have savvy. We, we've uh-huh. got, as I said, they've got they've got so much they could teach us because they've known this from day one. Interesting, we aside, which I didn't mention, there is some concern. <laughs> among psychologists that this generation of children might be more direct in their speech because they use uh, artificial intelligence so yes. they just like do this do that and they might need more help in uh, how you communicate in person to real people and there, there'll be a covid aspect to that as well mm. very different of what age you were during covid yes yeah. yeah yes it's nice to see some and that was sorry that was all from me uh, one hope who have kind of gathered things together because, as I said, there's not a lot being talked about it. So thank Brilliant. you for, to them. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. We'll put links to that in the show notes. And uh, thank you to both of you today. Uh, next time we're reading Acts chapter 20, verse 1, through to ver- chapter 21, verse 17. There is, of course, a link in the show notes and you might want to read ahead uh, before you join us next time. Thanks for listening. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.